come together and to worship. We have guests here. Thank you for being here. If you have any Bible questions, uh, please let us know. We'd love to sit down and study the Word of God with you. We're going to be back here tonight at 5 p.m. worshiping together. Love to have you back here tonight at 5 p.m. I'm going to be preaching Lord willing tonight, and the title of my lesson is going to be called, And What Does Boxing Have to Do with Church? Um, find out tonight uh, at 5 p.m. So come on back as we study again from the scriptures. He is described as a liar, a murderer from the beginning, a deceiver, wicked, the tempter, the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of darkness, and our adversary. You all know who I'm talking about, right? Talking about the devil. The way that he is described in the scriptures show us his single purpose. He's on a mission. He's on a mission to destroy you. He's on a mission to destroy me. Sadly, he was successful at times in the first century. At times, he would cause some of the children of God to stumble. (laughs) And it was Jesus who warned his disciples about this great adversary. If you turn over to Luke chapter 22, before the death of Jesus, in Luke chapter 22, verse number 31, we find, uh, I describe it as a scary passage, because in Luke 22, verse 31, Jesus is talking to Simon, and he said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, with you, I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. Jesus warned Peter, listen, the devil is coming for you. It's interesting that the devil knew him by name. He's asked to sift you like wheat. Peter was warned by Jesus. And yet he said, listen, Lord. We're going to go all the way. I'm going to stay with you no matter what. We know how the rest of the story would play out. Peter was ignorant of the devices of the devil. He had this warning, and yet he ignored the warning. Well, brothers and sisters, this morning, friends, I want us to talk about this idea that we cannot be ignorant when it comes to the devices of the devil. We cannot be ignorant when it comes to the fact that, indeed, we have an enemy. We cannot be ignorant when it comes to the fact that we have someone who is out to destroy us. He is not trying to play games. He's not trying to have a good time with us. He is trying to destroy our faith. And he would love it if all of us are with him one day in hell and eternity. The devil wants to destroy the people of God. In the book of Acts, we find how the devil went after the people of God time and time again. And yet it's not just in the book of Acts. You can go back to the Old Testament and you can see how the devil attacked God's people, the Israelites, then. Even in the epistles in the New Testament, we can see how the devil went after the people of God. And that's why we cannot be ignorant of his devices. This language is found. I want you to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. There's an interesting statement here by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, where he talked about the devil, where he warned the saints in Corinth that they had an enemy. That they were not to be ignorant of his devices, of his schemes, of his tactics. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 11, Paul said, So that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. 
It's interesting that language that Paul used in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Let me ask you a question. Do you know why he was saying that to the church in Corinth? Do you understand what was going on in that context and the situation as to why Paul would have to remind them that they needed to be sure that they were not ignorant of his devices? If you're not familiar with this passage, I want to talk about this today, and hopefully by the end of our study this morning, you'll have a better understanding of why Paul reminded them that they were not to be ignorant of the devices of the devil. When you begin in verse number 3, and we'll, get back, we'll come back to this passage in verse number 3 to verse number 11, I believe Paul is going to be addressing a situation that had taken place or that is mentioned in 1 Corinthians, a situation about a brother who was in sin, a situation where church discipline needed to take place. But to have a better appreciation as to why Paul is saying this in verse number 11, that they would not be ignorant of the devices of the devil, we need to make sure that we have a good understanding of the entire situation as a whole. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about not being ignorant of the devices of the devil, and in particular, not being ignorant of the devices of the devil when it comes to uh, church discipline. Uh, church discipline can be a, a controversial subject at times. Sometimes brethren may not always like to talk about it. But what we find here is that this language is used in the context where Paul was dealing with the case where discipline had been done. And so to get a better appreciation about why Paul was saying this and what else we can learn about the devil and what we can learn about church discipline, then we're going to look at a, a text in 1 Corinthians. Look, look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I believe, is connected to 2 Corinthians, particularly that verse and the verses uh, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. What I want to do, I want to read this entire chapter. It's only 13 verses. And I want to see what Paul had to remind the saints in Corinth when it came to some matters of sin, when it came to a brother who was in sin, when it came to disciplining this brother. You see, he's going to remind them, listen, there's some things that are going to have to take place here. And make sure that you're not going to be ignorant about what you need to do when it comes to discipline and remembering that indeed you have an enemy who's trying to devour this congregation, who's trying to destroy the people of God. You see, the lessons and the warnings that Paul's going to give them have great implication for us here at the West Main Church and really every other local congregation where the people of God gather together. And so let's see what we can learn. I'm going to read these 13 verses. And as I'm reading this, I want you to read along with me, please. I want you to think about this. What is, what is Paul teaching here? What did he want the saints in Corinth to do about this situation where this brother was in sin? What lessons are we going to be able to learn about this when it comes to church discipline? The Bible says in verse number one, Paul said this, It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in my body, in body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. You're boasting. It's not good. Do you know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover also 
has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Verse number nine. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and, uh, and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. What is Paul teaching here about this situation, about discipline that needed to be taken place? There are a couple of thoughts I want to share with you that I think will help us as we strive to do the will of God here at the West Main Congregation and as we deal with the topic of discipline. The first thought that I thought of when I saw this text here is that sometimes discipline is going to be necessary. Do you agree with that? That when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I don't think there's any dispute at all that at times church discipline, disciplining a brother or sister in Christ is going to be necessary. You go back to the first two verses here, pretty self-explanatory. He said, it's reported that there's immorality among you, immorality of such a kind as does not exist among the Gentiles. Paul doesn't give us all the details, but he says this situation is really bad. This situation is really bad, that a man has his father's wife. That's all we need to know right there. That's enough. That this man was conducting himself in a way that indeed was wicked. Verse number two makes it very clear that the saints in Corinth should have done something. They should have followed through with respect to disciplining this brother. And Paul's going to remind them, listen, don't be ignorant of the devices of the devil. You need to make sure that you do this. In verse number two, he said, you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. Paul said something should have been done about this a long time ago, but nothing evidently had been done. They were puffed up. They were arrogant. They should have been mourning this situation. They should have recognized how bad this really was. This was something that needed to be addressed and it needed to be addressed immediately. Evidently, they knew about this situation. And that's interesting, too, that the congregation was aware of this situation. And yet, it seems like as if they were tolerating this situation. Paul was not in Corinth, but it appears that he had already passed judgment, righteous judgment on this brother. He said, for I, on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. He said, I've already passed judgment. I've heard enough of what needs to take place, of what this brother in Christ is doing. And now he wanted the saints to do the same. Discipline needed to take place. So the question becomes, why did they need to discipline this brother? Did you see that in the text? Why they needed to discipline this brother? You look in verse number five. He said, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. He said, clean out in verse seven, the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened for Christ. Our Passover also has been sacrificed. 
Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul's making it clear that you need to discipline this brother for a variety of reasons. Number one, he said, deliver such a one to Satan. What does that mean? That's powerful language, scary language, isn't it? Deliver such a one to Satan. I think it's the idea that they were to withdraw fellowship from him. The idea of putting away the wicked man among yourselves. This language is also found in 1 Timothy chapter 1. This isn't the only time that Paul said this. I want you to notice in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, there were two brothers who had shipwrecked their faith. They, had, uh, they had, uh, were going against the faith in Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, listen to what Paul said here. He used the very same language with this idea of delivering one over to Satan. He said in verse 19, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan. I think that's the same idea. Deliver such a one over to Satan. Why? So that they will be taught not to blaspheme. So there's another reason as to why discipline was to take place, whether it's for these two men here or for the brother back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It was to help those individuals to see that a change needed to take place, that repentance was necessary, that their lives were in jeopardy, their souls were in jeopardy. It was for the destruction of the flesh, as Paul said, so that they would stop sinning. And he makes it very clear in verse number 5, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. He makes it clear why discipline sometimes is going to be necessary because the soul is on the line, because souls are on the line. Not doing anything about this brother in Christ would have made, would have potentially become dangerous for everybody there in Corinth because they were now tolerating the situation that they had no business tolerating at all. Paul is very clear here. He's very clear in 1 Corinthians 5 that sometimes discipline is going to be absolutely necessary. I think Paul is also making it very clear. Don't be ignorant about this. You need to know this. And we need to appreciate what the Holy Spirit is teaching us here. That sometimes discipline must be taken at a local congregation. Paul is clear. He's telling the Corinthians, you take action. You do it right now. You protect the sheep. They had waited long enough. And though the point for us is clear too that sometimes we are going to have to practice discipline. Do you agree with that? Are we on the same page with this? Because we can't be ignorant about this. Now, remember back in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul reminded them, don't be ignorant of the schemes of the devil. The devil is so smooth. He's so cunning. And sometimes he can tell us lies. And if not careful, we can buy into those lies. Sometimes he can get us to think, well, aren't you concerned that if we discipline a brother or sister in Christ, this may actually drive people away? Sometimes, if not careful, he can cause us to, to think and wonder and maybe hesitate. What are people in the community going to think if they hear that we practice discipline here at the West Main congregation? Sometimes brothers and sisters in Christ can have those types of thoughts or ideas Sometimes we can buy into those things, my friends, and we cannot be ignorant about this. Sometimes discipline is going to be necessary. And instead of wondering what other people may wonder or think about us, we need to be thinking about what does our Father in heaven think about us? You remember back in Revelation chapter 2, 
when he wrote those letters, when Jesus was addressing all seven of those congregations that are mentioned there, there are two words that are found for every congregation in that letter, in the letters that they received. I know. He knows what churches are doing. He sees what congregations are doing. And so we need to be more concerned about making sure that God is seeing that we are submitting to his will. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 makes it clear that discipline is sometimes going to be necessary. We can't be ignorant of this and we can't be uh, deceived by the devices or schemes of the devil. Not only that, but we need to recognize this, that when it comes to discipline, relationships are going to have to change. Things are not going to be the same. You go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the saints were to discipline this man. And a relationship was going to take place. Now, let me be very clear. This does not mean that the brothers there in Corinth or for us or anyone else for that matter were to hate that brother in Christ or sister in Christ. They were not to treat him wickedly or anything like that. And we have book, chapter, and verse for that. I want you to notice in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, because this isn't the only occasion where Paul spoke about discipline in the New Testament. Whether it's the church in Corinth and the situation appears to be a little bit different here in Thessalonica. In 2 Thessalonians chapter chapter 3, I want you to notice verses 14 and 15. Paul said, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yeah, do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So I want to be very clear that we understand that when discipline is taking place, that that we don't treat a person as an enemy. We don't hate that individual. We love them. That's the purpose of discipline, so that their soul may be saved, so that they may be delivered from their sins. And so when you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is making it very clear that, you know what? The situation here is going to change, and the relationship between you and this brother is also going to have to change. They weren't to regard him as an enemy, but a clear distinction was to be made. You look at verse number 2, that he said, You become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. There's clearly something that's going to be changing here in their situation. In verse number 9, he said, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. He dropped down to verse 11. He said, but actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if, if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reveler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Brothers and sisters, when I read that passage here, this relationship with this brother in Christ was going to change. There was going to have to be some distinction that he was going to clearly be able to see, wait a second, something's happened. It was going to be more than just mere words, but he's going to be able to see this. Let me tell you why this was such a big deal. We've been studying in the book of Acts, and there's a theme that we find all throughout the book of Acts. The saints were with one another. They were with one another all the time. They were going house to house, spending time with one another on a daily basis, assisting one another on a regular basis. You would see these Christians interacting with one another time and time again. And now Paul is saying, well, listen, you got to draw a line in the sand. There's going to have to be some separation here. There's going to have to be some type of distinction to be made so that this brother can actually see what's taking place. 
And so that's why I believe he's using this language here in verse number, verse number 9. I wrote to you in, in my letter not to associate with immoral people. And then in verse 11, not even to eat with such a one. Some type of change in their relationship was going to take place. Do you see that? Does that make sense? Paul is trying to get this point across to the brethren there. This was a really big deal. Now, was this going to be hard for some of them? I'm sure it, it certainly would have been difficult. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, when you go back there, and we'll come back here in just a minute, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we find as Paul is wrapping up this situation here, he said in verse number 6, sufficient for such a one is this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, which sounds like Paul is saying that the majority of them followed through with what he told them, with what he commanded them to do. So even though this was going to be a difficult and challenging situation, it appears that the saints there in Corinth, they heard the words of Paul, and they followed through, even though that certainly would have been a difficult situation. Well, brothers and sisters, the point is very simple for us. We cannot be ignorant of the fact that discipline sometimes is going to have to take place, and when it does... There is going to have to be some type of change in the relationship. Again, we're not talking about being mean or wicked or spiteful or anything like that. But a brother in Christ who is disciplined, there has to be some distinction that he or she understands and sees that something has changed. Because this is how serious the situation really is. It had to be done in Corinth. Brothers and sisters, at times, it must be done even today. We cannot be ignorant of this truth. We cannot be ignorant of the fact that sometimes, unfortunately, brothers and sisters in Christ choose not to follow the Lord, choose to go against the will of God, choose to ignore the warnings that are given to them time and time again. But you know what? We cannot be ignorant of the devices of the devil and what the devil wants us to believe. And this is where sometimes it can get really challenging. There's some things I think the devil sometimes wants us to believe. Sometimes I think he wants us to believe, well, listen, an announcement's been made that this brother or sister has been withdrawn from, and so that's enough. We've already announced it. That's enough. But it really doesn't have any impact on my relationship with that individual. Well, wait a second. While something can be announced, (laughs) there's got to be some type of follow-through. We can announce something, but there's got to be some type of distinction in the relationships. For all of us with that brother or sister in Christ. Sometimes I think he wants us to think, well, listen, I know what the Bible says about discipline. And I know relationships are going to have to change, but I don't want to hurt that individual. Well, remember, what's the purpose of discipline? It's to save the person. To deliver them. To save them. And sometimes I think the lie of the devil that that he wants us to believe is, what if this doesn't work? We'll go through all of this. There will be so many emotions involved. What if discipline just doesn't work? And sometimes people will just, if not careful, nothing will really change. We've got to really ask ourselves, what do we really believe? And are we actually going to follow through with what God wants us to do? You know, as we talk about being sound in the faith, sound in the faith entails everything. Not just with the elements of worship, but also in matters even pertaining to this. So 1 Corinthians chapter 5 shows us some powerful truths that we need to hold unto. That we are going to have to practice this. And that from time to time, relationships are going to have to change. 
I want you to really pay attention. Hopefully you've been paying attention the entire time, but really pay attention to this last point here. I want you to really think about this. When it comes to discipline, discipline will work. Do you believe that? Church discipline actually works. I think this is one of the biggest challenges that many people have. Will it actually work? You know what this really comes down to? Are we going to trust what God says in his word? And I know it works. Don't take my word for it. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I believe this passage here is connected back to 2, or 1 Corinthians 5. When you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 3, Paul said this. He said, this is the very thing I wrote you so that when I came, I would not have sorrow from those who ought to make me rejoice. Having confidence in all that, you, that my joy would be in jo- having confidence in you all that my joy would be the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. But if any has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree in order not to say too much to all of you. Sufficient for such a one is this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority. I think he's going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. These saints, they followed through with the discipline that was supposed to take place. And so now he's going to remind them so that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. This brother recognized the situation that he was in. And now the brethren were to surround themselves. They were to enfold him and to love him and to comfort him. Remember, this is not about making an enemy or anything like that. This is about saving a brother from from losing his salvation. And so he said, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. For to this end also I wrote, so that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. But one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Brothers and sisters, friends, he's making it very clear. This brother repented. Now they were to unfold him again. They were to forgive and to love and to and make sure that this man was going to be comforted and so that he could continue in the faith. I'm saying all that because I want you to see this very point here, that discipline will work. It will work. We have to decide, though, if we're truly going to believe this. So many churches a day rarely practice church discipline. You can go to a lot of places, and you're not going to really see anything. Maybe some of you guys grew up in some places like that. I have my own personal history where rarely did I ever see discipline being carried out. And I think the biggest reason why is that we sometimes just have a lack of faith. Is this actually going to work? What about what this person's going to think? And what about what this person's going to think? But brothers and sisters, what about what God is going to think? We have examples all throughout the Bible that discipline works. Remember the days of Eli? He had two sons. What did he do with those two boys? Nothing. How'd that work out for Eli? It didn't. Remember the nation of Israel? God disciplined them for a period of 70 years, large part because of their their idolatry. How did that work out? It worked out well. 
They stop committing that sin. What about in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira? Was God too harsh then? Discipline took place in a very scary way where they died on the spot. Verse number 11 says, fear came over all the church and everyone who heard it. It worked. People needed to understand and recognize that this was a really big deal. So the question for us is, do we really believe what we're reading? Do we really believe what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5? Do we really believe what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3? Do we really believe that discipline is going to work? My friends, don't be ignorant. Because the devil wants us to believe it's not going to work. Just don't do anything. All right, yeah, I, I know that there's, there's supposed to be some type of change in the relationship, but, you know, you can kind of do your own thing, and, and, and that's going to be okay. Listen, we've got to ask ourselves, do we really trust God? I think when we talk about discipline, it can be summed up in that word trust. Are we going to trust what God has to say? And I think First, Second Corinthians chapter 2 is also showing us something very powerful with respect to church discipline, that it must be carried out in the proper way with love, with care, with concern. And we cannot be ignorant with how we are to receive that brother or sister in Christ back. That's what Paul is trying to get them to see too. You don't hate this person. You love them. You're, you're concerned for them. And that's something that also needs to be addressed when a person does repent, when a person does come back home, that we make sure that we treat them the proper way. Brothers and sisters, we cannot be ignorant of this fact. Church discipline is scriptural, it is right, it works when it is done in a spirit of love and trust, and we have evidence of that very fact. Now, we have to make the decision. Are we going to trust God no matter what, and no matter what the situation may be? What a blessing that this brother's life was saved, that his soul was saved, and that the saints in Corinth trusted in the Lord to follow through. That's our goal. That's our responsibility. That's our mission to follow through with what it is that God wants us to do. Let us make sure that we're not ignorant of that. Let us not be deceived by the lies of the devil. Let's trust in what God has to say in his word. Whether it's dealing with church discipline or whether it's dealing with salvation, we need to trust and obey. I appreciate your attention this morning. And I want to conclude by, by saying that we got to trust him. When it comes to salvation, we've got to trust him the same way we trust him when it comes to discipline. That what he says in his word is true. And Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. We've got to believe that. Do you believe that? Have you done that? If you haven't done that, then you are in need of salvation. In all things, let's trust our God. Let's not be ignorant of our enemy that we have, the devil. Let's hold on to what God says in his word. If you're subject to the invitation, come now as we stand and as we sing. Now I